we're going to get back into what a spirit-filled life looks like. And, uh, for, and we're going to talk about wives and husbands this morning. So wives, this is part three for you. Husbands, this is part one for you. <laughs> but I was told that's too long of a title to put on things. So we're just going to wives and husbands. And quite honestly, if you're not a wife and you're not a husband, this information is still important and critical for you because we do have relationships and uh, we, we've been looking down at this passage uh, mainly because of uh, this past year. I, I was asked, uh, why are you doing this <laughs> a couple weeks ago? And uh, why are you, you know, digging a hole and climbing out and filling it back in and then dig another hole the next week and so forth? And uh, quite honestly, COVID, if you think about 2020 and COVID and all of a sudden, Wives were, and husbands were living in a, in a different environment than they've ever lived before, but they were back in an environment that God had originally created marriage to be in, and that is for them to be together. And so and when you look at that, and, and, and by the way, today, you see how today is? This is your new normal. Everybody says, oh, we're going to go back to normal. No, you'll never go back to normal. This is normal, okay? You know how you know that? Because this is what we're doing today. This is normal. What do we do? We do this, we do that. It is what it is. Normal will be some will ask you to wear a mask, stores going into, some won't. That's normal. It's, gonna, it's just the way it's going to be. So get over it, deal with it, go where you want to go, do what you want to do in your, own, in your own thinking. But normal is this. But in the normal, the new normal, as they say, we need to be able to look at our relationships and then how we are to manage those relationships. And in Ephesians 5, you start in verse 18, where we started, where we've been. Last week we, was Easter, we took the Sunday off. We talked about uh, Calvary and the cross and the resurrection. Verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If I want to have the Spirit fill me up, grip me, occupy me, take over, control my thinking, then I'm going to be filled with the things of the Spirit. And the Spirit is occupied with Christ, who He is and who we are in Him. The Spirit works in our lives through the written Word of God, through, through the Word of God. It was interesting, you take the, the, the Scriptures, and I'm, I'm talking about a King James Bible, and you think about the fact that when you read your King James Bible, you are literally talking to the Godhead face to face. When you think about Scripture that way, then it's no more just a mere book. It's something far better, far more important. Because this is where the, where the Godhead communicates to us what He would have us do and how He would have us be. So He starts in verse 19 and 20 and 21 talking to you as an individual. Here's how the Spirit-filled life looks in you. You're going to have, verse 19, a melody in your heart. You're going to have some inner harmony. You're going to have some inter, inner tranquility. You know, you're driving down the road, you get a little road rage going, why is this guy rubber? That's not inner harmony, okay? You know, just take a deep breath. One of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Have a little peace. Have a little long-suffering, okay, and run him over at the next light. Boom, you know. No, just relax who you are, take a deep breath, and you'll be okay. The second issue, verse 20, is to have a thankful heart, giving thanks unto the Father. Having a, thank, having a heart of thanksgiving. Boy, I hope you understand how grateful, how thankful we ought to be for who we are in Christ. Not only does he save us and and save our, us out of, um, I missed him. There's a fly. We'll get him. Top suey. Here we go. There's more than him saving you from hell, from the lake of eternity, of fire. There's more that he's got going on than that. He's got all of this plan, and you're a part of it. Then he says, verse 21, the great verse that everybody hates to love, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, and having a submissive heart a heart of a servant, serving one another. That's you, individually. You're to be there. Have an inner harmony, have a thankful heart, an attitude, 
and have a submissive heart. Then he says, wives, then husbands, verse 25, and then verse 20, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, children, and, and the parents' issues in verse 4, chap, verse 5, servants. The, now we're out in the, in the world. So he starts, Paul goes right back to creation. And he says, you want to have a spirit-filled life? You know where you're going to have it? Not in the ivory towers, not in the big theological discussions and wants, but you're going to have it right here in your life. It starts with you and your volition and a choice that you make. Then it's going to move into the marriage, the second institution of creation. Then it's going to move into, into, into the family, the third institution of creation. And then it's going to move into society, that fourth creation of nationalism. And there it is. And as the Spirit works, this is what it's to look like. If you want to have the, an image of what perfect looks like, here it is. Now, we're imperfect, so we struggle in these. But here's what perfect looks like. It's, fun, it's fascinating when you talk about marriage. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in an imperfect environment, everything in 1 Corinthians 7 would be how it worked. The problem is, is we don't live in a perfect environment, do we? We live in a struggle, in a sin-cursed environment. But it starts here with submission, submitting. That issue of submitting, it just means exactly what the word sounds like. It simply means putting yourselves under the authority and the influence of someone else. Your first, verse 21, to be submitting one to another. Then he says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. But notice, it's as unto the Lord. And we've spent time with the wives. We need to clean something up here with the wives in the next verse. And then we'll get down into, into the hubby, the husband's. But look at verse 23. By the way, wives, ladies, notice that the instructions to you are verse 22, 23, and 24. Short, to the point, because usually the ladies get it. Now the men, the husbands, it starts in verse 25 and goes all the way down to verse 33. We're a little hard-headed. A little more instruction. Besides, there's some more responsibility given to the husbands as well. Okay? That's why it's critical for the wives to understand the role of the husband. Not to do the role, but to understand it. Because the wives need to understand when they look at their husbands and they're going to have a submissive attitude, they're going to allow him to influence them, then they understand why I'm to do that. Verse 24, he says, uh, verse 23, I'm sorry, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. We didn't look at the issue of headship, and I want to do that. It, it won't, doesn't take long. You know who makes headship hard to understand? Christendom does. Religion does. Denominational, you know why? Because they got a book to sell you. They do. they got a set of tapes to sell you. They do. But rather, when you come into Scripture... In marriage, the issue is headship. This is not hard. It's not, it's not anything that's mystical and woo-hoo-hoo spooky. Hoodly do I call it. It's pretty straightforward. Because the issue of headship has to do with leadership. It has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It has to do with the issue of leadership. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 and look at verse number 3. And ladies, you need to think about this. Gentlemen, you need to think about this because at times we pull up the, well, I'm the head of the home. And, you know, when we want to win the argument, right? I'm the head, you know, and all she's going to do is say, yeah, but I'm the neck that turns the head. See, Right? I can get no amens on that one. Wow, okay. But see, the <laughs> what's that? Not from the men, exactly. See, but we use this, we've been drummed, society has drummed into us of what headship looks like or supposedly looks like. When you come to Scripture, it, doesn't, it isn't that at all. Usually headship is taught as a superiority issue and that the, lady, the wife is inferior. And that is not the case in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 3. 
But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is who? So let me ask you something. Is Jesus Christ inferior to God the Father? The answer is no. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. See that? So if you think headship is a superior thing, then you just made God the Father more superior than God the Son. We got a problem, don't we? See? And if you make him inferior, you got a bigger problem. You see, headship has nothing to do with being superior or being inferior. Rather, it has everything to do with the assignment and the job descriptions, the roles in the marriage. When Jesus Christ, Philippians 2, you know the passage. Well, maybe you do. Go look over there, Philippians 2. Just look at this. Just think about this with the issue of headship. Philippians 2, verse 5, And let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So is Jesus Christ God? Yeah. 100% God. But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. What did he take on then? He took on humanity, didn't he? See, he's the God-man, 100% humanity, 100% God. You want, to talk, you want to start a conversation going? You just bring him up like that, and boom, you got him. But notice what he did. He became obedient unto what? Death. Even the death of the cross. 1 Corinthians eleven three 3 says the head of Christ is God. In what manner? How did God become the head of Christ? In the manner that God said, that Christ said, not my will, but thy will be done, Father. I've come, lo, in the volume of the book, you've got a body written for me. I'll come do that. I'll be made of a man. I'll live, walk. I'll go and die. I'll become obedient unto death. I will do, I will humble myself. I will do your will. Not my will, but thy will. So what does he do? We got it, Galatians 2.20. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ was under the headship of God the Father in the issue of leadership. Father, I'm here to do your job. I'm here to do your will. Come back to Ephesians 5 there. Again, ladies, headship, gentlemen, headship has nothing to do with superiority or, in, or, or inferiority. It has to do with leadership as the son says to the father I, <laughs> I think of all the passages I'm sorry and he says I lay my life down I take it again no man takes it from me and you know how I can do that John 10 because the father said I could I'm going to believe the father I'm going to believe the word of God I'm going to do that and he becomes literally the head, if you will, but in leadership. Ephesians 5, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Again, the illustration. As Christ is the head of the church, we are subject to his leadership, to his authority. We'll learn in Romans 8, we will learn in Romans 8 in our study, that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with who? With Christ. You see, in a joint heirship, there's equality. But as Christ, as the church is subject to Christ, as Christ is the head of the church, so what? The husbands and the wives, that relationship there. As Christ leads the church... Gentlemen, it's our job to lead our wives. Come over with me to Galatians 3. Again, headship, the issue is leadership. Because gentlemen, your wife, Galatians 3, needs you to lead her. There's an issue, there's a reason why Satan goes and talks to Eve and not Adam. Because Eve is that weaker vessel. Remember, we studied in 1 Peter over there. Not weaker in that physically she can't do it. Weaker in position. In the, in the head. There's a reason why Paul will tell Timothy, 
that there are silly women laden with sins when it comes to the way that Satan is going to attack the body of Christ, the local church specifically at Ephesus there. He's going to get in through the women. That's why he'll say, women, you're not to be gossipers. And he'll specifically lay that out. Not because women, but because their, their position is not in leadership. Their position is subordinate, okay, in the roles. Look at Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. All equal. Now, obviously, there is a difference between male and female. I, I know what culture says today. I tell you what, well, I, can't, I shouldn't tell you what I think. But if you've got to go run in the women's sports to be a winner, then you ought to just stay home and be a loser. Honestly. But they do. They can. That's fine. But there is a difference physically between men and male and female. But in Christ, what are we? All equal. Ephesians 1 there, verse 3. We're all, we're, we're all blessed with what? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All spirit, Colossians 2.10, we're what? Complete in Him. You see, folks, come back to Ephesians 5. When we talk about headship, we're not talking about superiority because equally we all sit equally in Christ, but when it comes to the marriage and the roles in the marriage, there is the issue of headship, leadership. Now, do you see how easy that was? It took us 15 minutes. Now, I just saved you $1,000 at the next marriage seminar to listen to a guy rant and rave about headship and go back there and pull Moses on you and pull Jacob on you and pull Joshua on you and to pull Abraham on you. I've, I've listened to him. No, what does Paul say? Ladies, as Christ is the head of the church, so is your husband. And our job, your job, our job as husbands and your jobs as wives is to be right there with those verses say. It's his thinking on the matter. I know out there in culture, out there in society, that's not the thinking. But we, we don't live out there. We live in who we are in Christ. And if we want to demonstrate a marriage filled with the Spirit, guess what's going to happen? the roles are going to be played out as they are to be played in your life, in your personality. Your marriage doesn't look like my marriage. Thank the Lord. Your marriage looks like you and yours. And ladies, I would encourage you to think about that, not bow your back. And when we have Christ and who we are in Christ and we have His thinking, becomes our thinking, and when we live as Christ would have us to live, guess what's going to happen in the marriage? The husbands will take the lead. And the ladies will come in, the wives will come in and be in that submissive role. Okay? Now verse 25, get the husbands. Whack. Oh, man. Because verse 25, husbands, hit your wives. No. Husbands, beat your wives. No. Oh, man. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? Love. Love your wives. Again, comes to you guys, us guys, we're a little, a little, take a little more instruction. More going on here for you and I because of responsibility, because of headship, because of leadership. There's some things that we're going to need to know and to do and to learn. And to be able to go and learn how to do it. I, I, I think about Peter. I, I just, it's amazing to me. Uh, come, come over there. I know it's not, in, it's not on the, the overhead. I'm sorry. First uh, Peter, I've got to find it. It's on the page right there. First Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, that's the wives, according to knowledge. Whoa, there's some things that we're to, how are we going to dwell with our wives? First Peter 3, uh, 3 there. How are we going to dwell with our wives? How are we to dwell with our lives? According to what? Knowledge. 
Gentlemen, she, come back to Ephesians 5, she is the most intriguing creature to ever cross your crosshairs. She's that way by design. You think you got her, and then she wiggles off the hook, and you, oh, chase her down again. Right? Come on, think about it. You hunted her down. She ran faster than you could run, and finally she slowed down so you could catch her. I understand that. You get, you just think about what we're going to... Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Boy, isn't that a something? There's that illustration all again. Wives, as the church is subject unto husbands, uh, unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands and everything. Verse 24. Wives, as Christ is the head, your husband's your head. This as Christ, so and as, that comparison, that simile, back and forth. Husbands, love your wives. Gentlemen, the greatest need of your wife, come down to verse 33, is she wants to be loved. Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband's. Gentlemen, you know what your wife wants? You to love her. Husbands, wives, you know what your husbands want? Reverence, respect. Wives want to be loved. They want to have the security of being valued above all else. And you know what husbands want? To be respected above all else. Ladies, there's not a man. You know what a man wants more than anything in his life from you? From his wife to be respected by you. Not by other people, but by you. When you respect your wife, gentlemen, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna love her. When you respect your husband's ladies, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna reverence him. And ladies, I'll tell you what, <laughs> inside of your husband is a very is a little boy. And that little boy wants to be a superhero to someone. And above all, he wants to be your superhero. Every boy I ever know, you talk, what do you want to be when you grow up? Fireman, policeman? It used to be. Today, I don't know what you want to be. Okay? A gamer. What is that? <laughs> What's a gamer? I'm like, dude, what in the world? Right? You know why they want to be firemen and policemen? Cowboys? They're superheroes. They come in, first, they rescue the day. Every man wants to be that to his wife. Gentlemen, you're not your wife wants you to love her. She wants to be valued above everything else in your life. That's what she wants. Boil down, bottom line. Yeah, but I need, no, I didn't say need. I said, what does verse 33 say? Again, this goes contrary to what the world says about us, doesn't it? And around us. That's why we're going to go by what the Word of God says. And that's the bottom line for all of us, is that the husbands want to be respected, reverenced, and the wives want to be loved. Isn't that wonderful? It's so simple. When we quit thinking like the world would have us think, I got a bookcase at home. I got one shelf, and it's nothing but about marriage counseling and how to help and do. And you know what? Every 25 lists of things husbands can do. And I'm sitting there going, I don't think I do, but maybe one or two. What's the Word of God say? One thing to do to her, love her. Wow. You see, folks, when you, whether you're a husband or a wife, Demonstrate these two things to each other in your marriage. You will see your spouse relax and understand the environment that that marriage is going to operate in is an environment of being led by the Spirit. And you know what happens? You relax. Yeah, but you don't know what kind of a beep, 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 beep they are. I've heard it. You don't know what they've done. No, it doesn't say anything about that, does it? 
Marriage is difficult. You need to be back in Ephesians 5. I don't know where you're at, but I'll be in 5. You, marriage has a marriage is problematic. You know why? Just look at the first marriage. <laughs> Woo, they had trouble. And the reason for that is, is because marriage is between is it involves two sinful, selfish-minded people that have come together for a lifetime commitment to each other. So guess what pops up? T R O U B L E. I was going to sing our respect, R E S P C T. By the way, that, that song, Respect, do you know that uh, Frank, uh, Aretha Franklin did not write that song? Otis Redding did. And he wrote it as an ode of a man who all he wanted from his woman, his wife, was respect. Now, Aretha took it, spun it, because she's a lady and she can do that. And now it's the anthem of, I'm this big, strong woman and I'm demanding your respect. It's very interesting. So I'm not going to sing respect to you. Thank you. You're welcome. But you see, folks, in our marriage, we have an opportunity to put on display the love and the grace of God by demonstrating submission, verse 22, and by demonstrating love, verse 25. And that's that Christ has established how we ought to be looking and living like because he died for you and I. He gave himself. Again, verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto who? The Lord. When the wife puts herself under the headship, the authority, the influence of her husband... She's to do it just as God put himself under the headship and the influence and the authority of the Father. As unto the Lord. That's what she's to do. Husbands, we have the same instructions. We are to put our, when we come and love our wives and be the leader that she needs us to be, we're doing that just as Christ did in the relationship with the Father. This is not conditioned upon fill in the blank. This is unconditional. There's no wiggle room in any of this. There's no, well, what if? Well, what if? You don't know her, man. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, after six months of, after the first six months are over and all of the flowers have, you know, died and gone away and all of the bloom, and then you roll over and you're like, what did I do? Oh, my goodness. Pastor Rick, look at what you won't believe. And I'm like, I told you. No wiggle room. In the time of conflict, what's our natural reaction? Well, the natural reaction of the wife is to respond in a way that communicates a lack of respect a lack of reverence for her husband. To us guys, ladies, you know what that looks like? Contemptment. And it's hard to love someone who has contempt for you. That's tough. In the time of conflict... By the way, that is exactly opposite of what Christ said you're supposed to do. That's exactly the opposite of what Christ did for you. In that time of conflict, you know what the husband's response is? Not to love her. And gentlemen, do you know what that looks like to your wife? Looks like she's a doormat. You're just walking all over me. And again, that's exactly the opposite of what Christ did for you and I. Think about that. Verse 25, he says, and he gave himself for it. What does Romans 5, 8 say? But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet perfect. No, what? 
sinners, what did he do? He died for us. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say that Christ said, I disrespect them. I don't love them. How dare you tell me i got to do this? You know what he said? Not my will, but thy will be done, Father. Uh, Let's go do that. You know what he had? He had an obedience of faith. Faith to the word and the plan and the purpose of the Father. And he went and did it. So you know what Paul says? Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church. How did he love it? And he gave himself for it. That's fantastic. He, his love for the church resulted in him giving himself for it. He, how did he love the church? 100%. He loved it because that was the Father's plan. That was the deal. That's what we're going to do. That's what the Father wants done. We got this heavenly place. We got this heavenly government we got to take care of and establish and do. And we're going to use these. We're going to use heathen. We're going to use pagans, both Jew and Gentile pagans. We're going to use unsaved, ungodly people. Enemies. Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. <laughs> And you're going to die for them. And he goes, no, don't want to. That dirty rot. They need to learn that I'm right and they're wrong. No, he says, good deal, Lord, let's go. When do we get to do it? Come on, come on, put me in, put me. He gets excited. For the joy that was set before him, he's all excited. Five times, Paul says, and he gave himself for him. And each of the five are very instructive. And each of the five help us understand the magnitude here of how he loved the church. And gentlemen, how we then are to love our wives. The first one is in Galatians 1. Look over at Galatians 1. This is very fascinating how how we're going to see this picture develop. And ladies, you need to understand that this is the instructions to your husband. Because just as you have your instructions and you're to do, you are also going to be watching your husband do, and if he's doing, that makes a natural bridge and ease for you to do. It's when he's not doing that you decide you need to be the head and you need to take on the leadership. You know, that's one of the curses of of Eve in Genesis 3 was that her desire was to be to rule her husband. The way he says it in Genesis 3 is her desire will be to her husband, but her desire is going to be to, be the, to wear the pants in the family, as the saying goes. Notice Galatians 1, verse 3, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Notice that. He gave himself. That he, that purpose, and why did he give him, why did he give himself for our sins? That he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. He wants to, he gave himself for us with the purpose that he would rescue us, deliver us out of the pew, present evil world, P-E-W. The stench, the stink of the world. Think, come, hold on here, look over at Ephesians 1, 2. Think about the present evil world. Ephesians 2, when, when he says that, what is he talking about? Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There is a course of this world. The wor- He's talking about the world system. And the world the system is designed by God to do something one way, but Satan corrupted it, introduced a lie to it, and now it's designed to pull you away from who you are in Christ. The course of the world, the world system, is 
the use of the world for the advancement of man, of me, of the great I am, because here I be. Now, God's desire is for us to not be a part of that. You see, when he says back here in Galatians 1, he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world. God's desire for us is to not be held in the clutches of the world system. God's desire, His will, is for us to come over here and in our lives. When you live and you work and you do, you know what the world system does? It grabs you. It latches on to you. It pulls you into its ever-loving arms and says, whispers sweet by and by to you, and says how great you are. Don't you know you could be like the gods? Don't you know that if you just tell him what to do, he will just love you for being the boss? Don't you know that if you just let her tell her, and they begin to whisper sweet nothings, literally, in your ear, it uses you for its purpose. And yet the first time that we read that God gave himself for us is to do what? To deliver you from that. Gentlemen, our job is to keep our wives out of that system. It's a deliverance mechanism. It's a leadership role. We'll see it as we go into Ephesians 5. He gave himself, you know why? To take us out of the clutches. Come over to chapter 6 of Galatians. He took us out to take us out of the clutches of the world system and to set us free. Galatians 6, look if you will with me at verse 14. We read only part of this verse usually. We never really finish it, and that's too bad. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's usually where we stop. But keep reading. By whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. What's my relationship to this world? Dead. It's dead to me. It's crucified. And you know that what the only thing that sets you free from the grips of the world system is the cross. That's the only, I said it last week, don't get too far from Calvary. Don't get too far from the cross. I owe that world system absolutely nothing. My relationship to that world, to the world, is I'm, it's crucified. And it's the cross that gives us the, the ability to look at life right now in time in the freedom that God's grace has provided for us in Christ. You see, we're not to run our marriage, we're not to run our family, our lives on the basis of, the wor- of what the world dictates. Rather, we're to look to God's word and obey that. You know why? Because the cross set us free. Galatians 2, second one. Galatians 2. You guys didn't have anywhere to go today, did you? <laughs> Just kidding. The clicking talk, the clicking talk in the back tells me I've got to hurry up. <laughs> the clicking clock. Galatians 2.20. Here's this one. Notice this one. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for... Who? Who? You know, he gave himself to you personally. This is a personal issue. Notice how many times he says, not I, 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 I me, my person, me personally. It's about you. That's why Paul starts with the individual. That's why God in creation starts with the individual volition. So when husbands or wives, when you're not lovable, you think you're a doormat. When you're not respected, there's contempt. You know where the issue starts? With you, the person, the individual. 
When Christ died at Calvary, He died for you, personal. So when, when mistakes are made and conflicts erupt, you know what we got to start with? Me. Husbands, it starts with you. Because you have that job description as head, as leader. It starts with you. Come over to Ephesians 5. This is where we're at. This is number three. It's coming through the epistles here. Gentlemen, you and I, husbands, we are to love our wives. That's personal, man. That's right down. That's you and her. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Okay, what are we talking about here? 26.1, first word, that. You know why you're to love your wife? You know how I gave himself? That. And there's going to be a list here that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. There are some things that are the responsibility of the husbands to do for their wives. Sanctify them. There's some wife washing to happen. Oh, that's a fun thing. Scrub her down, boys. Yeah, that's the idea. There's some washing to be done. There's some things to be done. Somebody got it, okay? And the husbands, that's our job. That's our role. First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. Here's the number four, the fourth one. First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 2, sorry. First Timothy 2, verse 3. You see, gentlemen, when he says he loved and gave himself, it's 100%. The Lord didn't say, eh, maybe next Tuesday at 2 we'll do this. No, he says, this is on your timeline, Lord. Father, we're going to do it according to your word, according to your plan. Husbands, we're to do this according to the word, not what the world says. The world's great attack today is on masculinity. It's, 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 it's bad. <laughs> it's horrible. Because the men, it, well, anyway, I'll get not started. First Timothy 2. I told myself, I got it written through here, don't get started. <laughs> because what's onslaught is on us, all of this. First Timothy 2, 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and the man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a what? Ransom for all to be testified into. He doesn't just give himself. He gave himself a ransom. The the only way to buy back your marriage from sin, which is why you got problems, is the cross. He paid the ransom. How did he give himself? Again, Romans 5. We were ungodly. We were without strength. We were sinners. We were enemies. That's Romans 5, 8, 10, 6, 7. We were all of this. And you know what he did? He paid the ransom and said, they're mine. He paid the price. So when your spouse is a sinner, when your spouse disrespects you, when your spouse doesn't love you, what does Christ do? He loved us, didn't he? So when she's over there pitching her little fit, or you're pitching your fit, what are we going to do with each other? Rick! <laughs> We're to do what? We're to say, hang on a minute. Let's find Switzerland. Let's find neutral ground here. And let's remember, as Christ, so shall we. And let's work this out. Because what did he do? He paid the ransom. He paid the price. Come over to Titus chapter 2. I hope you're catching what's going on here, guys, ladies, because this is as much instruction to the men as it is to you ladies, because he did the same for you and for you, just to the husbands a little more directly. Titus 2 verse 14 is the, is the last one. And this one to me is, is so wonderful. It's so, wow, just wow. 
Verse 13, he says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Oh, there's that next word, that. Here's the intent. He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Wow. What a verse. Think about what that verse is saying. He, he, he gave himself that he might do what? Redeem us. Have a group of peculiar people. Peculiar means to belong to. Israel was a peculiar people. They belonged to Israel. You and I belong to Christ. How did we get there? What did he do? He paid the ransom. What did he do? He redeemed us from all iniquity and purified us. He took care of our sin problem. Oh my goodness. And he purified so that he could have what? A peculiar people. A group of people that belong to him who are going to do what? Be what? Zealous. Woo, the zeal of the Lord ate me up, Jeremiah said. Zealous. But of what? Good works. Boy, think about that in connection to your marriage. In our marriage, gentlemen, husbands, wives too, we are to be zealous. We need to be zealous to love our wives. We need to be zealous to put our, uh, yourself, ourselves under the leadership of your husbands. That might, that's not a second thought. That's a, that's a first thought before any other thought. He's my husband. I'm going to put myself where I belong. She's my wife. I'm going to put and I'm going to love and respect her and lead her. Because there's some things in there, again, we'll get into in the coming weeks, that she needs our leadership in. And actually God says, you're the husband. You are to be doing this. We ought to be zealous. Folks, our joy, our excitement in life should be to make our spouse know how much we love and respect them. See, that good works there isn't doing, you know, isn't feeding the poor. It's doing what? It's being who you are and the role that you are in your marriage. We belong to Him. We're peculiar. We're zealous. That wonderful motivation of the love of Christ constraining us. As the love of Christ comes in and grips who we are, our minds and our thinking about who we are, and we go over there and we say, you know what? As a husband, here she's my wife. Lifetime commitment. Here we go. This is what we're going to do. And she says, I can follow that to the ends of the day. I, you know what the world says? The world says you have to earn respect. You know what God's word says? No, you don't. You're in the role of the husband. You're to have it already. It isn't about you earning it. It's about the role that God gave you. See how whack the world is? That's why he says, I don't want you in the clutches of the world. I want you in the clutches of my word and where you ought to be. You see, our victory isn't in our doing. Our victory is in who God has already made us in Christ. We're peculiar. We belong to Him. Now go back to Ephesians 5. Just about another half hour. Are we good? No, I'm just kidding. No, some of you got to go. <laughs> Ephesians 5. I'm just kidding. We're done. 525. We start with the husbands here, but he starts with information that really is for all of us. When he gave himself for us, he did it to pull us out of the clutches of the world system. He did it for us personally. That is, it's between you and him. He did it to give us his life, his thinking process, so that we'd be peculiar, that we would belong to him, and therefore we would have 
good works, zealous, zeal. We would have a zeal to be all that we are capable of being as a husband and a wife. So husbands, we start with a great standard laid before us. Gentlemen, we need to be her dream man. And the only way you can be her dream man is to let it be Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you be that to her, she'll follow you to the ends of the world. You know how I know that? That's what the Word of God says. We're not talking about a 12-step program to save your marriage. We're not talking about this or that. Counseling's not wrong. I'm not against counseling. I'm talking about getting right back to the book where it belongs. You want your wife to follow your leadership, then you know what you need? You need to love her. You need to pull her out of the grips of the world system. You need to make it personal between you and her. You need to become zealous for her. And when that happens, look out, world. What a testimony of the love and the grace of God operating and functioning in your life. And I'll be honest with you, maybe you're not married. Maybe you're single, maybe you're widowed, maybe you're just whatever. Same attitudes happen with you and your relationships with other people. This isn't just a pigeonholed into one thing. It's what a spirit-filled life is going to look like. So guys we got to get going. we got to be where we need to be. Ladies, you need to be where you're, you need to be. And we need to have that obedience of faith in the Word of God. Now, guys, we're not done. I'm sorry. we got a few more verses to, to deal with, and we'll do some more of that next time. Especially down in verse 26, 27, and, and the, the, the instructions there. They are tremendous. They're wonderful. Because it gives you and I the ability to put on display His grace in our lives to our... You think about, what does one say? Children. Think about your children. Where do they learn what marriage looks like? Sesame Street? Barney? Teletubbies? I don't even know what's on anymore. I'm dating myself. Okay? No, they need to learn by watching who? Mom and Dad. Well, you know, Rick, we never grew up that way, blah, blah, blah. But we're grandparents. Then you know what they need to learn? They need to learn that from the grandparents as well. Because kids are learning from those immediate influencers. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. Aunts and uncles. See, we just didn't trickle. We trickled in the bigs right here, okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the instruction. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we have in your Son. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand.